us to stay there. Is that right? He wants to do new things in our life. Well, it's time for our prayer time together, and today we're doing something just a a little bit different than just a standard prayer before the sermon. Um, We're going to uh, record this. It's being recorded, but uh, in just a moment, you'll see why why it's important that we record this particular uh, event. Uh, Next Sunday, I want you to know, is a big Sunday for us. You didn't know this, but it is a big Sunday. We're doing this today because we want to have it ready for next Sunday because we, as a church, have been supporting Ron and Jackie Whistler with uh, Wycliffe Bible Translators. We've been supporting them for about 20 years, and I want you to know that next Sunday, June 6th, the people of North Maluku in Indonesia, where uh, Ron and Jackie have been laboring for many, many years, will be celebrating the dedication of the New Testament in their own language. And so what this means is a people who did not have God's word in their own uh, mother tongue will now have it. And we played a big part in getting that word to them, and so it is a time to rejoice. Now, Ron and Jackie are not going to be able to travel to Indonesia for the dedication as much as they really wanted to due to the COVID-19 restrictions. But uh, we, as a church, want to send our greeting to the people of North Maluku uh, via this video that we're going to uh, prepare right now. So in just a moment, when I tell you to, I want you to turn around and wave at the camera. Rick is back there. Uh, so you can pretend like you're waving to Rick. And we're going to edit all this part out. We're going to have this greeting uh, in just a moment. So uh, let me begin. Greetings, church leaders, translation team members, and brothers and sisters of North Maluku. We celebrate with you as you now receive God's word, the New Testament, in your own language. We pray that you will read it and delight in it and hear it in your own heart language. And we pray that the Lord would use it in a powerful way to strengthen you in your faith and bring many more people to know him. And so from Eugene, Oregon... To North Maluku in Indonesia, we greet you. So let's all say hello. May God bless you, brothers and sisters, as you rejoice in hearing God's word. As the Lord says in Isaiah 55:11, so it is with my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which it is sent. And so let's pray together. Father God, we rejoice for our brothers and sisters in North Maluku. We pray that the joy of the Lord will be their strength as they receive your word in their own language. Father, we pray that you would guide them, bless them, and encourage them. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for participating. Well, we are continuing our sermon series through the Gospel of Mark. We're calling this series Servant and Savior as we work our way through Mark's letter, Mark's Gospel. We are in the fifth week of that series, and today we're calling our message Healing the Hurting, and it's based on Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there if you'd like. There's also an outline if you picked one of those up as you came in the front door this morning, if you're a note-taking type of person as we enter in 
to understand healing the hurting. Well, I read about a Bible study group leader who said to his group, what would you do if you knew you only had four weeks left before the great judgment day? And of course, one guy very spiritually said, I would go out into my community and minister the gospel to those who have not yet accepted the Lord in their lives. And the group leader said, very good, spiritual goal, brother. And then another woman in the class spoke up and she said very enthusiastically, I would dedicate all of my remaining time to serving God, my family, my church, and my fellow man with greater convictions. And of course, the group leader said, that is wonderful, sister. And then finally, a guy in the back spoke up and he said out rather loudly, he said, I would go to my mother-in-law's house for four weeks. And the group leader said, why your mother-in-law's house? And he said, because that would make it the longest four weeks in my life. <laughs> now, did you know that there is something called entherophobia? Entherophobia is a fear of mother-in-laws. That's a real thing. Have you noticed how many mother-in-law jokes there are out there? Mother-in-laws have been the brunt of jokes since the beginning of time. Well, maybe not since the very beginning, because Adam and Eve didn't have in-laws, did they? I, I did a Google search, just typed in mother-in-law humor. 56 million results came up. Yeah. Some sites devoted exclusively to that unique relationship and the humor found in it. Now, I don't generally tell mother-in-law jokes, because I want to just say I have been blessed with a wonderful mother-in-law. She is loving and humble and caring, and her sweet spirit has, has, tr has trickled down into my wife and all three of my daughters, and I just cherish her. But as I was thinking about mother-in-laws, a, a couple of mother-in-laws come in mind in the scriptures. In the Old Testament, there's a wonderful story about Ruth who had such a, a close relationship with her mother-in-law that she ended up embracing her faith. And then we're going to look today in this New Testament passage in Mark, and we're going to see that the disciple named Peter cared so much for his wife's mother that he brought her to Jesus. Now, we saw last week as we worked our way through Mark that an astonishing thing happened when Jesus showed up in a synagogue service. And our main point last week was this, a response is expected when Jesus is encountered. And we ended with a challenge last Sunday, a challenge to make Jesus famous by how we live, by what we speak, and I challenged you to pray for our congregation to grow in the way of making Jesus famous here in our community. And so I just want to ask, how have you done this week? I hope that you've been praying as we seek to lift up the name of Jesus, to make him famous here in Lane County. Well, in our passage today, we'll see the power of Christ displayed over physical disease. And I'd like for you now to stand as the word of God is read from Mark 1, 29 through 34. Danita? And immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever. Immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. 
When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door, and he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. Amen. The word of God. Please be seated. So here's our big idea for today. When you bring Jesus into your home, your home can become a headquarters for ministry. So I want to begin by considering bringing Jesus into our home. Bringing Jesus into our home. And from the text, let's first consider the setting. That's in verse 29. It says, immediately, remember that word, that's one of Mark's favorite words, immediately. He's an action-focused writer. Immediately, Jesus left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And you see, after the synagogue service, everybody would head out to Elmer's or Sherry's or another popular restaurant. Of course, they didn't have those in the first century, did they? But it was common for the Jewish people, when they concluded their synagogue service, to then head into local homes where they would gather and break bread together for the Sabbath lunch. And so we see now the scene moves from that very public, what we called a power encounter last week, in the synagogue to a very private event in a home. And we know from Scripture that Simon and Andrew were originally from Bethsaida. But apparently, Peter has purchased a home here in the the town, the fishing town of Capernaum. And he's moved his fishing business there. Peter has a home that he uses for hospitality. He fully followed Christ, and yet, as a follower, he continued to care for his family and to use his home for God's glory and to make Jesus famous. It's, uh, I found some interesting inst- uh, ideas here about archaeological excavations. Back in the late 1960s and early 1970s, they actually discovered or uncovered underground a first century home right in that village of Capernaum that they believe was Peter's home. By the second century, that home had been expanded and was being used for a house church. And that house was only about 100 yards from the local synagogue, which was also uncovered during this archaeological dig. Well, today, a modern Catholic church perched on eight sturdy pillars has been erected protectively over that excavation site. Archaeologists believe that the house was in a small complex grouped around uh, several courtyards. It would have been stone or clay walls that have been, would have supported a roof of tree branches covered with straw and mud. And excavations show that one room in this complex uh, has been singled out all the way back to the middle of the first century, around 50 A.D., There's actually graffiti scratched into the walls that refer to Jesus as Lord and as Christ. And it's suggested that that is the room that was used for the gatherings of the early church. And if that's the case, it's the first such example in the Christian world. 
Now, in the 5th century, uh, an actual church was erected, built around this, this room, and then this present church building, Catholic Church, was built in 1990, and it is also octagonal in shape. So I just thought that was kind of interesting, but what, I want you to think about this. When Peter left everything to follow Christ, that meant that he gave everything to Christ. I want us to think about that for a moment because too often we categorize the spiritual and the secular. We put worship and prayer and Bible study kind of over here in the spiritual pile and then things like work and hobbies and relationships and family, oh, they go over here in the secular pile. But here's the reality, friends. When we repent and receive Christ when we forsake all to follow him, it means that everything becomes spiritual in our life. Our family, our house, our possessions, our finances, our job, our hobbies, our relationships, our schoolwork, our activities. That is because everything matters to Jesus. Peter's priorities had changed when he met Jesus. The people in his life and all of his possessions now belonged to the Lord. He could still enjoy them, but he had transferred ownership to Christ. How about you? Have you made that kind of a transfer? And so that's the setting. Let's now think about the sickness in our story. We're told in verse 30 that Peter had a mother-in-law. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. The idea in the original language is a bit stronger than she was just lying around with a fever. The sense is that this fever had so affected her that she was thrown into a sickbed without any hope of ever getting better. This was a serious sickness. The phrase, lay ill, gives the picture of flat on her back. The word fever refers to a fire in the bones. Because of the kinds of diseases that were prevalent around the Sea of Galilee and the marshy areas uh, around uh, Capernaum at that time, it's quite possible that she had something like malaria or typhoid fever. We know from the Gospel of Luke that Luke says that she had a mega fever. That's the Greek word, mega, a great fever. It's not surprising that Luke would give that kind of diagnosis because you remember that he was a doctor, a physician. It was common back then to categorize fevers as small and great or mega. So this tells us that she was in a life-threatening situation. It's also important for us to know that in the ancient world, fever was considered a disease itself. It wasn't just a, a symptom. Plus, they, they didn't have Advil or Tylenol or Pepto-Bismol to kind of help them through these times. Now, next, Mark reminds us that immediately they told him about her. And I love that. I love how, what is their go-to? They tell the Lord about the problem. In essence, they were interceding on this woman's behalf. They didn't know what else to do or who to go to. And so what do they do? They go to the Lord. A crisis does that, doesn't it? Even pagan people will pray if the problem is big enough. So we've looked at the setting, the sickness. Now let's just consider the Savior, the Savior. 
we see what Jesus does in verse 31. It says, he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her. He came. He came. Don't you love that Christ comes close when we're in a time of need? Luke tells us in his gospel that Jesus came and stood over her. He didn't stay at a distance. He came near. Our greatest need when we are hurting is to experience the presence of the Lord. I love Psalm 34, 18. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and is attentive to their cry. And so the Savior came. And next we see that he touched. Jesus could have snapped his fingers. He could have just said a word. But instead, he takes her by the hand. We see in, uh, in Mark chapter 8, Jesus does this with another sick person. He takes a blind man by the hand because there's power in touch, isn't there? It was a big deal for Jesus to touch this woman because according to the Talmud, that's the Jewish commentary on the Old Testament, touching anyone with a fever would have rendered the person unclean. But not with Jesus. With Jesus, the touch does not defile the healer. Instead, the healer heals the defiled. When Jesus touches someone, everything changes. Have you experienced that in your life? The touch of Jesus? Because if you have, you understand that everything changes. Like the song we sang earlier, just as I am. We come just as we are, but when Jesus touches us, we don't stay there. We begin to change and to grow and develop in powerful ways if we allow his Holy Spirit to take the lead. Next, we see that he lifted. I love that. Jesus lifted her up. He came down so he could lift her up. She couldn't get up on her own. And Jesus wants to lift us up as well. And then we see that the fever left. And it's, we have every indication that that fever left her immediately, which was amazing in itself. It was common in that culture to, to use all kinds of elaborate incantations that would take a, a long time. And then they still wouldn't work. Some today still do these kinds of things. So-called faith healers on TV will hawk holy handkerchiefs or ask you to send in $1,000 of seed money for a, for a miracle. But that's not how Jesus works. Not so with Jesus. When Christ came, he took her by the hand and he lifted her up and the fever left. And this is a big deal. Because later, or earlier, uh, earlier, 600 years earlier, Isaiah predicted that the Messiah would have a healing ministry. Listen to these words from Isaiah 35. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. In Matthew chapter 8, Matthew tells us that Jesus healed the sick and he cast out demons Matthew writes, he says, to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Friends, this shows us how caring and compassionate our Lord is. He feels our fever. He carries our cancer. He bears our brokenness and he takes our transgressions. 
He is the Lord, our healer. And then finally, I want you to notice in this section, the serving. The end of verse 31, it's just amazing to me. It implies that Peter's mother-in-law began serving them immediately and she began to serve them. Have you ever recovered from a sickness so quickly that you want to jump up and take care of everybody else just like that? It takes some recuperation time, doesn't it? Your bones ache. You feel weak. All you want to do is sleep, especially us men. Have you heard about the man flu? The man flu, it's an illness that causes men to be helpless and sicker than any other family member. And I'm told that in women, it's simply called the common cold. But for Peter, for Peter's mother-in-law, I want you to see this. She was completely helpless and sick, and yet there is no recovery time. She didn't get better gradually. She was healed, and her instinct was to go into helper mode. Folks, anytime we encounter Jesus, the natural response should be to serve him. You know, that word serve, it's the same word we get the word deacon from. It literally means to wait on tables. We looked a few weeks ago when, when Jesus was ministered to or served by the angels after his terrible time of temptation in the wilderness. It's that same word. They served him. They ministered to him in the wilderness. Peter's mother-in-law made her life immediately available to Jesus and his ministry. Friends, we have been called. We have been saved to serve. We have been healed to help. And we have been touched so that we can touch others. You see, when you bring Jesus to your home, your home can become a headquarters for ministry. So let's now consider the second part of that main idea. After bringing Jesus home, how about allowing your home to be a headquarters for ministry? Look at verse 32. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. That's a remarkable statement to me. Those same archaeologists that dug up that house that I showed you a picture of earlier, they can tell by their excavations that in the first century, the town or the city of Capernaum was around the size of about 1,500 people. That's a pretty good-sized small town, isn't it? And the whole city was gathered together at the door. The reason they waited until sundown was because they were prohibited from carrying anyone on the Sabbath because that would have been considered a work. Sabbath started at sundown on Friday and it ended at sundown on Saturday. And so here it is, sundown on Saturday. Jesus has enjoyed a meal served by a woman that, she, that he has healed. And now the people come knocking on the door. And the people who came had all sorts of problems. Some were suffering with sickness, and others were inflicted with evil spirits. Some were diseased, others were demon-possessed. Broken legs and broken hearts gathered outside Peter's home. Some couldn't walk, and so they were carried. Verse 32 says they were brought. That word literally means to carry as a burden. 
people were carrying their friends and family members to Jesus. The people who came, they had what Mark calls various diseases, and that word means manifold or a wide variety. And brothers and sisters, let's remember this. Everyone that we meet is fighting a battle that we might not know anything about. Everyone is suffering in some way or at some stage, emotionally, mentally, physically, or spiritually, or all of the above. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we carrying our friends and family to Jesus? Are we bearing their burdens to help them draw nearer to the Lord? According to verse 28, the fame of Jesus had spread throughout the region after Jesus had cast that demon out in the synagogue, which we looked at last week. And now that he has brought physical healing to Peter's mother-in-law, the crowds line up to see him. In verse 33, we read, the whole city was gathered at the door. In the tense of the verb, it indicates that the crowds continued to come. They didn't just come, they continued to come. You see, people knew that Jesus was not only at Peter's home, but that he could help those who were hurting. Can you imagine this scene as people knocked on Peter's front door? I wonder, I wonder what it would look like if people gathered on our front lawns in the parking lot of your apartment complex, wherever you might live, if they gathered there because you brought Jesus home today from this service. See, here's the deal. When Christ shows up in your life, people ought to be curious. They ought to come knocking to say, what's going on with you? And how will you and I respond? In verse 34, it says that Jesus healed many. He healed many. What this means is that he didn't heal everyone. That's because in this life, sometimes we don't receive the healing we want. In this world, there will be woes and challenges and disease and cancers and fevers. And while we can and while we should pray for healing, we must realize that Jesus' timing is often different than ours. His purpose is often different than ours. And the healing that Jesus really is about is a spiritual healing, much more than it is a physical healing. The text says that Jesus silenced the demons because he didn't want their testimony and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And I just find that interesting, that the demons wanted to declare who Jesus was, but they weren't permitted to do so. Today, Jesus wants us to speak about him, but many of us walk around as if we have a muzzle on, worried about what somebody might think about us. Now, before we assume that all these people were putting their faith in Jesus, we have to point out that it's likely many of these people just wanted a miracle. They were just looking for the wow. They wanted relief from pain and affliction, but not everybody was ready to repent and to receive salvation. 
While Jesus healed many that day who were sick and he cast out many demons, he came for a different purpose. He came to extend mercy, but he was also on a focused mission. And we're going to talk more about that focused mission next week. But friends, I want to encourage you to think about some creative ways that you might allow your home to become a headquarters for ministry. I mean, how in the world can we do that? Well, I have prepared an, an insert, a, a purple paper. These are going to be available at the front door as you leave today. I'm going to be holding these. I'm going to be passing them out to you. And I want to encourage you to use this as just a start to think creatively about ways that you could use your home as a headquarters for the ministry of Jesus Christ. Here's just a few from the list. Organize a neighborhood cookout. Connect new and existing neighbors or learn who your neighbors are. What if you just invited some people over for a barbecue? How about intentionally getting to know those who don't share your faith? Do you understand that as Christians often we focus on our relationships with other believers. But Jesus came for the sick and the dying, for the diseased and the hurting. And that's who he wants us to minister to as well. So what if your home became a place where you could intentionally get to know people that were far from God, using your home to invite non-believers over for meals? How about seeing if your neighbors have an unmet need? Look for opportunities to help with yard work, pet sitting, to share your tools or your resources, your, your skills. Your home could be a base to launch out into your neighborhood. Finally, here's a wonderful one. Dedicate your home to the Lord. Have you ever thought about doing this? I mean, really dedicate your home to the Lord. Have an open house and invite your friends and neighbors. And during the dedication, maybe read some scriptures and share your vision for using your home, your apartment, wherever you live, as a place to share and minister. And then pray through the various rooms as you dedicate that place. Can you imagine what kind of a testimony that might be for the people that know you? Do people sense that your, your home is more than just a residence? That your apartment or your house or your hut is inhabited by a follower of Jesus Christ, that it is one of his embassies on earth. That is what God wants you to do with the place that you call home. And so I want you to pray today about how your home can become a headquarters for ministry. When Christina Plews left her home one fateful night, she had an ominous feeling that she couldn't shake. As she was leaving, she told her husband, I think my worst nightmare is about to come true. Plews is the Upper Mackenzie Fire and Rescue Chief, and she had been called to help fight fires about 30 miles away from her home. But she knew the area was very, very dry, and she knew the weather forecast called for high winds, a recipe for wildfires. Be safe. Her husband called out to her as she went out the door. She could have said the very same thing to him. About five hours later, she ordered the evacuation of several surrounding towns, including her own. 
And when she couldn't reach her husband on the phone, she called one of her sons, instructing him to leave. Get in your car and get out of there now. The fire that she'd left to fight five hours earlier was out of control and was, in her words, ripping down the valley. Friends, it wasn't long ago, just about a year ago, and we remember that fire, the Holiday Farm fire. Clues and the other firefighters in her unit are all volunteers. And while they battled the flames the best they could, all of their homes were burned down. In the aftermath of the flames, many community members rallied around the chief, helping to provide essential clothes and food and supplies to replace what she'd lost. Later, when she was asked by a local media outlet how she remained so strong and steadfast, Plews had a ready response. She said, somebody has to do it. Somebody has to lead and somebody has to help get the healing and rebuilding process started. I just have to do it for everyone else. And hopefully we can all find our way. Friends, that story reminds me that we are in a crisis today. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we have both the opportunity and the responsibility to demonstrate the love of Jesus through sacrificial acts of love and service, often based right in our home. Well, the Holiday Farm Fire ended last year. People around us continue to suffer. Many endure hardship and heartache and disappointment. But what's important for us to know is a fire is coming. And it's far worse than a forest wildfire. It is a fire that will consume everyone who does not know Jesus. And so what are we doing each day to bring Jesus to our homes so that our homes will become a headquarters for ministry. I challenge you to think about how you can act starting today to use your home as an embassy to represent Jesus right where he's placed you. Let's pray together.